The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod. My name is Sai, and with me as always is Dan, who's a feeling ranty today, I've just been told. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> it's, I stayed up till 2.30 this morning to make sure I got this done for today. Yep. And I'm feeling ranty for a couple of reasons. One is because of things that happen in the show that I, are just a cardinal sin to me in terms of just being a decent human being. And two, because I made over 7,000 words of notes, and I know the most interesting thing I'm going to say is be, is complaining about fucking sandwiches. Not the act of fucking a sandwich, <laughs> but what happens with the sandwiches. Okay. Okay. I'm sure we will get to it. I'm sure we will how, get how to it. How are you doing, mate? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay, mate. I ain't doing too bad. Thanks for asking. Um... <laughs> <laughs> contrary, oh, no, contrary to popular belief, it's not all about me, just 99% of it. <laughs> Uh, on today's episode of the Doctor Who pod, we are looking at the 1972 John Pertwee story, The Sea Devils. I was crazy excited about this one, Dan, because first of all, it's the first uh, the first story to ever feature The Sea Devils. And we've seen them semi-recently, I guess, with one of Jodie Whittaker's specials. Yeah, uh, the time of recording the last one. And, and we, are on Doctor, we are on Doctor Who Eve. We are indeed. We are indeed. Uh, also, the original incarnation of the Master is here, which I was oh. excited about as well, because I don't think we've covered him yet on the show. We haven't, no. And just laying out there now, Roger Delgado was fantastic. He was absolutely brilliant. Do you know what his full name is? Go on. Roger Cesar Marius Bernard de Delgado Torres Castillo Roberto. Quite possibly the coolest name that ever existed. Exactly right. Exactly. It's like when you get it's like when you get a Portuguese or a Brazilian footballer, and, and like well, you, you call him Fred. Yeah, but he's actually got a massive <laughs> long name. Yeah, we've got here. We have Roger Cesar, Cesar Marius Bernard de Delgado Torres Castillo Roberto. But I imagine walking around on set, John Pertwee just referred to him as Rog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we've got he's got Roberto at the end. You probably called him Bob. <laughs> oh, <but dead. laughs> I'm amazed you actually I, I'm, I'm really proud of you because you pronounce that flawlessly yeah mate I've been practicing that <laughs> for two weeks yeah since we picked this show I've been practicing that name over and over and over again <laughs> ah there we go I mean, this story is a six-parter as I said first broadcast in 1972 February through to April 1972 I'm not gonna lie I didn't realise it was a six-parter when I chose it. I didn't realise you'd picked a six-parter until I left it until Thursday to start uh, to start <laughs> watching them and we're recording on a Saturday. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, but I think that 
I mean, some classic here, we've said before, haven't we, that you get these six-parters or eight-parters or even some of the four-parters. They don't need to be as long as that, really. There tends mm. to be quite a bit of filler in certain episodes. Uh, however, I think this one, okay, you could probably trim some away from the story and condense it down a touch. But I didn't get that feeling as strongly with this story. How did you no. find it, Dan? No, I'm saying it was very well paced. There are one or two times where you can see that they're extending certain shots or certain scenes to, to just up the runtime a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, we'll get to it later on, but when they're lowering the exploration pod out of the ship or when you've got one of the, uh, you know, the, the, the little speedboat chase scene that feels a bit more <laughs> extended than it, than it could be, or you've got extended shots of the sea devils themselves coming out of the sea. But it's no more than, it's particularly for like the, you know, the shot of the devils coming out of the sea, it's no more than, Five to ten seconds. Yeah. But it's just enough for you to go. They were probably, probably padding for time a little bit, but it doesn't harm the episode overall. This this is a very well-paced uh, well story with some uh, some very intriguing and one absolutely detestable character, uh, side mm. character. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, basic gist of what happens at the beginning, then, I suppose, is there are ships vanishing, Dan, aren't there? There's been uh, three separate ships vanish in a certain area. Yeah, that... big big, big boats go glug glug. That's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's almost like... It, it sounds silly because that is a big part of the plot, but at the beginning, it's almost like a side note because the main aspect of the very beginning is that the Doctor and Joe Grant... Uh, are paying the master a visit, aren't they? Yeah, they're off to see him in his prison, and they mm. meet the. Um, mm, let's not oh. start that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's not. <laughs> and they meet the uh, the dubious character of uh, of Colonel Trenchard, who has this sort of veneer of bumbling, overly officious bureaucrat. Yeah, but he's a lot, um, a lot more sort of. I'm struggling for the word. A lot more devious. Then he first appears. Yes, indeed. Uh, the master was basically involved in every single story. I think pretty much in the season of Doctor Who before this one, he mm. was he was involved. I think in pretty much every story. But then at the end of I think the demons, he got put into jail, which allowed the Doctor to do other things for a bit. And this is almost like the master's return to the show, I guess. All right, fair enough. Mate. I'd, uh, again, I didn't know why he was there or what. I just sort of accepted it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Master's in prison. Of course he is. Why not? He's yeah. probably got some. He's probably there because he wants to be. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, I suppose in a way that's the case, isn't it? He he has a purpose of being there, which we'll come to shortly. Uh, I did get a little bit of a giggle out of when the um, Trenchard, I think you said his name is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's, he says, oh, you can have a look at the prisoner here. And they've just got a set of like, is, is it like the crappy old 1970s Venetian blinds on a window? There must yeah. be a certain color to work with the green screen because they pull the little cord and then it, it comes. It's supposed to be like this high tech computer vision machine, I guess. But it's just basically a knackered old blind with something projected onto it, which I thought was quite funny. It still looked good, though, especially when they zoomed in on it and then they removed the sort of the effects, the the, the lines on the blinds yes. to actually zoom in on the master in his cell. That was, much like the green screen in Inferno, that was something way beyond what I expected from Doctor Who's budget in mm. 1972. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, 
I do get uh, again. I said, like I said, I get a bit of a giggle out of that, but also the fact that this is the first time they've seen the master for a, a short period of time because he's in prison, and uh, the doctor decides to have a little dig about his waistline, which tickled me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't clock that. He goes, "Oh, he's putting on weight." <laughs> see now that explains then why later on when they actually go and see him, he's on like a like a seventies sort of rowing machine, yeah, or whatever it is, and he just and he says that he's keeping fit. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're struggling. Uh, he says he struggles to get the well, trenchard. Sorry, explains that because the, of, of the nature of him being locked up in this cell, it's difficult for him to get the exercise he requires, which is why uh, yes. he may be putting on weight, as the doctor said. Oh, yeah, he's a right fat bastard. Ah, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> the master here, though, uh, Roger Delgado, as we said, is just fantastic. Right from the first time we see him, he's talking to a guard about. Um, well, he's trying to hypnotize this this new guard, isn't he? Because Trenchard mm. explains that all the guards are immune to hypnosis, which is one of the master's main weapons. And he's he's talking to this guard who is a new guard there, trying to say to him, "You will obey me. I am the master." And the guard just simply responds, waits for the master to finish his little spiel, and turns around and goes, "Let me know when you're done with your book, and I'll swap it out for you, mate." All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It was very good. But you know, um, Roger Delgado sat there, and he's just got—he's so intense looking, mm. and he just oozes sort of menace and intelligence. He's very much like um, you know, like a Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing in the old Hammer horrors. Yeah. He's always got that air about him and sort of that that creepy sort of gravitas and presence on screen. Yeah, definitely. He he looks there are certain moments in this this six parter where he gives a certain look or reacts to a certain situation and he just looks evil. Mm. It's yeah. really good, isn't it? It is, yeah. But then it, it's kind of it's it's kind of the opposite of that when he and the doctor actually start talking. Because it is very much like old friends reuniting. Mm. They're just having a general chit-chat about, you know, about how Trenchard's a bit of a dick, about how he's been treated, and, you know, he's actually grateful to to have been in prison. He's had a chance to reconsider his life and, yeah, and things right like up. that. And, yeah, <laughs> no, the, doctor, <laughs> the doctor's there pulling a Carl Pilkington just going, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. And it just, though I like it when he says... Delgado's there saying uh, the Trenchard's a very nice man, but his conversation is somewhat limited. And you know, he offers his hand to the doctor, and the doctor sort of goes to shake his hand, then just goes, "No, see you later, mate." Just gives him a yeah. friendly wave. Doesn't trust him. Might try and poison him through the skin or something. Who knows? Oh God, what show was that on? I'm sure I saw there was a program once where it might have been 24. Where someone oh, yeah. had like the had the poison had the poison in the glove and like shaking yeah. people's hands. Yeah, that's right. That, that does sound, that does ring a bell. I, I've seen twenty four, so hey. very possible, <laughs> yeah, very possible it could be that. <laughs> ch- ch- chalk that on your bizarro world, uh, Doctor Who pod bingo cards. Yes, Sai has seen something. Um, <laughs> after the master leave, sorry, after the Doctor and Joe leave their little visit to the master, which, I mean they weren't there for very long, were they? And it took a little while to get there by the looks of it, on this boat and so on. Yeah, it's another way. It, I said it was well-paced, and it is, but this is sort of something I'm noticing, you know, sort of last week and this week. The Doctor goes somewhere for a reason and then very abruptly goes to do something else. Mm-hmm. I've come to see the Master. I've had a little chat, and I know he's in his cell. Good enough for me. See you. 
Yeah, Salah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no after the doctor, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> after the master, uh, sorry, the doctor and Joe have left, uh, we find that the master, despite Trenchard being, I reckon, relatively convincing in explaining mm. that the you know the, the he is the prisoner, the guards are immune to hypnosis, and you know he's under constant watch and all this. We find out that's all bullshit, and the master is working with Trenchard because he has convinced this uh, quite old school, stiff upper lip, military-esque guy that he is going to help him flush out enemy spies in one way or another. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, you know, the reference him earlier on, Trenchard being, you know, the commander of a colony mm. or something that, that ultimately failed. So it's kind of, the master's obviously preying on that aspect of his life, that failure in his life, I guess you'd call it. Um, and, you know, one last shot at military glory rather than being a a pencil pushing prison guard. Mm, yeah, but it's um, it, it's kind of it's that moment where you just go, and there it is. Yet it didn't fanny around. We all knew the master was going to turn. It was going to turn out to be doing something. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. It's done what it needed to do. Let's have it, which is perfect for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the doctor is, however, he, he's had his um, interest spiked a little bit by the mention of these missing ships that we spoke about right at the start of our episode, Dan. And he decides he wants to go out and have a look at, I think it's a naval base where one of the lifeboats has been put after it was, after the ship disappeared. Yeah, that's the one. There's, um, it's been, it's been found, it's charred, there's no survivors. And uh, the uh, the little boat uh, driver there has only been paid to uh, to take him to the prison and back. So the doctor bribes him. Mm. Yeah, that was funny as well because he's there saying, "Oh, my leg was playing up from Crimea, was it?" And the Crimea, which which yeah. ended in eighteen fifty six. And the bloke looks at him like, "What?" And then he said, and then, he said <laughs> then he says Gallipoli, which was even earlier, and then another, you know, another. I can't remember the third one. And he says, "But does it really matter?" You know, he's a tenor. Yeah, there's <laughs> some money. You go look for Joe. I'm going to have a little jaunt out on your boat. So the doctor jumps on the boat and dis. And again, I think that's a bit, a bit funny because he doesn't tell Joe where he's going. Joe apparently has gone to look for postcards or something. Yeah. It's... Do they have a gift shop at the prison? Well, why wouldn't you? Oh, I suppose. <laughs> He's got to make money somehow. Yeah, very true. Oh, God, that sounded very American. <laughs> prison's there to... No, we don't have far-profit prisons in Britain. No, no. No. Uh, the doctor, yeah. as we said, bribes the, the guy with the boat to allow him to use his boat and go out to the naval base. Uh, which is entitled HMS Sea Spite. Yeah, it's um, it's an odd name for a naval base that they that naming it after after them hating the sea. Mm. It is. But, it um, is. This actually comes to the first of uh, quite a few uh, actors in this serial that have been in other uh, other shows because we're about to meet Captain Hart, who was yes. played by Edwin Richfield, who played Mestor in Twin Dilemma in 1984. And we're going to meet, I can't remember her rank, but she's, uh, where's her name? She's called Blythe, who's his secretary, which is June Murphy. Uh, yep. She's Maggie Haggis. Uh, she played Maggie Haggis in Fury from the Deep. Oh, um, okay. One of the radio operators was uh, Neil Siler, who was Commander Stewart in Death to the Daleks in 74, just a little bit after this. And we'll, we'll shortly see uh, Telegraphist Bowman, who was played by Alec Wallace, who was Warner in Revenge of the Cybermen in 1975. Why? Loads of links there this week, then. Loads of links. Oh, do you know what? There's loads more. Amazing. I love it, mate. I love it. Uh, uh, 
Captain Hart, as you mentioned, he has uh, noticed that some random civilian is just riding a little boat up into their supposedly heavily guarded sea base. And <laughs> he, calls him, he, he, calls, he calls him a stray civilian. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, been, he's been listening to you talk about children. That's what the stray kids grow up to be. Stray civilians. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I am, I'm actually surprised there's not an indie band called the Stray Civilians. Yeah, yeah. It does sound like a sort of real, you know, a gang of kids who had a little bit too much money and decided they wanted to be in a band. A little bit manufactured, a little bit London pop-punk wankiness. Like a, like a soulless Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, yeah. I'll go along with that. A band that I would never listen to. Um, <laughs> Joe has had a similar idea idea to the Doctor with regards to bribing the the bloke with the boat, but this time obviously he has no boat, so he she bribes him to let her use his motorbike to go and find where the Doctor is. I thought they were supposed to be on an island prison. Mm. But yeah, she How can ride the- her bike. How the fuck is she on that bike getting anywhere? I didn't really try and put too much thought into it. I don't know. Because there's a few occasions where they actually do drive about, isn't there? And it doesn't quite make sense. Unless, of course, it's like a bay and they're driving from around the bay. When they're on the water, they just cut across. They never specifically say it is an island. We just see the boat crossing. Mm. Yeah, it could be. But also, this guy never actually gets his vehicles back, so he must be pissed. Yeah, I imagine so. They chucked him a few quid, but... You know, yeah, 20, quid for, look. 20 quid for a boat and a motorbike. I know it's 1972, but bloody hell. Yeah, apparently Portsmouth Naval Base Prison it was filmed at, and No Man's Land Fort. Oh. Huh. Oh, the Isle of Wight as well. So you do need a boat to get there. Yeah, you can't ride a motorbike to the Isle of Wight, mate. Unless you ride it on the ferry. Well, just go doing laps of the boat, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. That might get, you might get complaints. Yeah, that would drive you mad, wouldn't it, if you hear that all the damn time. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, love the, I love this next bit because this is actually called back to in uh, David Tennant's era. Yes. Uh, because you see the master watching the moomins. That's the clangers. Oh, is it the clangers? Same thing. Yeah. No. Uh, he's watching the clangers. Yeah, he's watching the clangers. And he said, that's an amusing extraterrestrial life form. And Trenchard has to point out that they're just puppets for children. But then yeah. the John the John Sim <laughs> version of the Master in uh, in the two part finale um, of Martha's series uh, did the same watching the Teletubbies. Yeah, he said something about this is like great evolution TVs in their stomachs or something like that. Yeah, saying it's a miracle of evolution or something. Yeah, and uh, I do have to I do have to give I do have to give credit to uh, to a past guest for that observation. That was uh, that was from Gary. That one. From, uh, from okay. season two, he, uh, he he pointed that out to me yesterday at work. <laughs> yeah, no, brilliant. Can't stuff. take Thank all the credit. credit. <laughs> um, I'm taking the credit. Yeah, why not? Uh, <laughs> the master, uh, after you know, watching his kids' TV, is is again talking to Trenchard and he basically plots out where these three boats have sunk because he's talking about the doctor is going to be showing an interest to it. And in the middle of the, the this basically triangle that the, the ship's uh, sinking locations form is this sea fort, which we then cut to. And there's two guys on the fort who are there for maintenance. They think it was, it, at one stage it was abandoned, but now they're turning it into something else, Dan, aren't they? They are, yeah. And uh, we're off to, I'm sure I had a thing about him. Oh, I could have sworn one of the guys was uh, 
Oh, do you know what? I had to cut down my tropes because there were uh, there were too many people who've been in Doctor Who before. <laughs> I will be, so I cut this one out. Um, but we're coming. We are coming to another one shortly. Okay, no problem. Um, this is where I I guess we see the first glimpse of, or at least part of, a sea devil, and mm-hmm. along with that, we with get the, the dramatic zoom. Oh, <laughs> uh, and and the horrific sound effects, mate. <laughs> the sound was done by somebody is an experimental electronic score it was referred to as by a guy called malcolm clark who was an electronic um musician and he did this a couple of times for doctor who at different different eras but this is one of the earliest ones and i find it so incredibly jarring anytime this happens the sea devils when they appear we get the sort of thing but it's like so casio keyboard and shit that it just completely froze me it's not even casio keyboard it's more like casio watch yeah yeah <laughs> it's not it's yeah it's not good there were so many times throughout this serial where i was thinking is this meant to be a sound effect or is this music like mm. is this something that's meant to be happening like is this sound supposed to be in sync is it some form of communication or is it just this weird crappy soundtrack well, it's funny that you mentioned, is it a sound effect? Is it music? I looked into this Malcolm Clark a little bit before we sat down to record. And apparently that's what his impression of what he wanted to do, his art, as he referred to it as. Of was. course, it was, of course it was, he did. <laughs> yeah, it was music with sound effects included in the music. So that was kind of, I suppose, in a way he achieved that, if that's what we're talking about now. But for me it didn't quite work on the show. I mean, I, I don't know, because you, you got like, who was the lead guy out of ELO? Was it Jeff Lynn? Yes. Jeff Lynn had his house wired for sound. So like, if he heard a noise, he thought it'd sound good on a track. He'd know, he knew, he'd know where the microphone was that would pick it up and he can isolate it and, and use it. Okay. I don't see this motherfucker doing it here. He's no. just decided to whack a load of pots and pans together, see a deeper meaning in it and think it'll do. Have you ever seen the episode of Friends where Ross plays the sound on his keyboard that he used to play for his for his sister when he was younger? And it is literally just like he presses the demo button and it plays like a really shitty tune and he just starts hitting random keys and all that. He reminded me of that. I do remember that. Yeah, Ross is a fucking douchebag. He is, mate. He is. Maybe he's Malcolm Young is as well. Malcolm Clark, sorry, not Malcolm Young. Malcolm Young's a legend. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm Clark may be a douchebag, I don't know. You know, actually, hang on a second. I, yeah, no, he's dead. So let's not insult him any further. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whoops. I should have looked at that first. Um, <laughs> oh, well, he can't be offended by it then. Well, um, I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> what I do like at this, though, is the doctor getting, we cut to the doctor get after we see the reptilian hand at the door of these two maintenance guys playing cards. We get the doctor doing what the doctor does and he's just walking into a base. Yeah. He's just looked at the guys with guns and just been like, oh, can I see a commanding officer? He's he's pulled, he's done a Karen and asked to see the manager. Yeah. And now he's just like, oh, yeah, where are your unit credentials? Oh, well, I never carry them, the bureaucratic nonsense. Joe uh, jo has them to ask her as if she's just going to miraculously be there, which she is because he knows that yeah. she's following. Cause yeah, she the doctor miraculously turn up. The doctor couldn't possibly wait five minutes. He just has to fuck off and expects her to follow like a lapdog. Mm. Mm, yeah. And this is part of the, I'll come to a bit of it later, but the way the doctor treats Joe at times in this serial just fucks me right off. Yeah. Yeah. 
and, and, and looking back, this is the start of it. He just leaves her behind without a word, and she's just she's just left to figure it out. Dick move, Doctor. Yeah, that is a bit of a dick move, to be fair. That is the last move. Uh, but um, Joe does turn up, and the Doctor and Joe go to the fort. Ah, but we had some wee-wee boot boot first. Oh, okay. About the um, about the scorch marks on the uh, on the lifeboat, right? And the doctor's there; he's drawing them out, saying the marks are a very definite shape, a linear shape. How do you account for that? It's like the ship caught fire, but it didn't catch fire. Where were the where was the smoke and the flames? How do you account for them? Is it a concentrated beam of heat applied from underneath the boat whilst it was still in the water to make sure there were no survivors? Might be a dick, but he's a clever bastard. Oh, there you go. Figure that out just from some markings on a ship, mate. That was good going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as we say, doc, the Doctor and Joe then head off to the fort because they've made the same link as the Master, that the, the, the three sinkings are, are surrounding it, effectively. And they head over there in this little boat and have to go up a ladder to get onto the fort. Now, this seemed odd to me. Did they speed this footage up or something? Because they seemed a little bit off. This is a weird thing. I couldn't tell if it was sped up so that they got up quicker or if they just had an extended shot to pad out the time, because it somehow felt like both. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was... Um, also, we've, we've skipped over quite a bit, because we did cut back to the uh, to the fort, and the uh, the Irish fella, and I think his name's Hickman, and they hear a sound. Uh, oh, the yes. Irish fella jokes about it being a mermaid. Hickman goes to investigate. The Irish guy hears a scream, goes after Hickman, goes the same route, we hear some we hear some sci-fi noises which are either soundtrack or murder and he finds yeah and he finds hickman dead and there's an inhuman shape in the corner mm, very starey eyed as well isn't it? it it's like it's like they're taking mushrooms yeah <laughs> it's like they're it's like it's like they've taken mushrooms done a line of coke and now just can't close their eyes yeah, like, and they're just whoa, off, off their tits, whoa. tripping everywhere. Literally, imagine that the Doctor and Joe. Places. Yeah, imagine that Doctor and Joe like turn up on the fort and go, "Ah, oh, no, we're okay. There's no sea devils. These two idiots are just off their bollocks, and that's the end of the whole story." You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought, so I thought you meant the sea devils had starry eyes. I was expecting like a sea devil rave going on at the fort. Ah, all right, yeah, yeah, with like their high vis jackets and glow sticks, like whoop whoop. Yeah, and we've also skipped over the doctor's. Uh, <laughs> 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 we've skipped over the doctor's little confrontation with Hart, where, doc- where the doctor says that Horatio, Horatio Nelson was a personal friend of his, and, and Hart just says, "Poor chaps, as mad as a hatter." <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that phrase, "mad as a hatter," and obviously the Mad Hatter in um, is it Alice in Wonderland? I yes. think, isn't it? What what is what is a hatter and why are they mad? I don't understand. Well, the Mad Hatter was in Alice in Wonderland and he had a big hat, right? And because he was a Mad Hatter, that gave rise to the phrase "mad as a hatter." Oh, okay. So it literally all stems from Alice in Wonderland. There's there's no uh, yeah, probably. I just made all that up off the top of my head. Let me have a look. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that was just a pure guess. <laughs> But the thing is, it was said so convincingly, I didn't question it for one second. 
Earliest known appearance of the phrase in print is an 1829 issue of Blackwood's Edinburgh magazine, predating the Hatter from Lewis Carroll's uh, Alice, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Uh, so it's... Um, oh, right. Um, so Mad as a Hatter could link to uh, the 18th century in, in England where mercury was used in the production of felt. And mercury, long-term mercury poisoning can cause... Uh, in insanity-like symptoms. Right, okay. So if a person works with felt long enough making hats to get build up a mercury in the system, go a bit fucking bananas. Why? Look at that, eh? We don't just talk about science fiction on this show. We're providing a damn education, mate. <laughs> I have Google and Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, As the Doctor and Joe go up the ladder, we see a green hand on their boat. And then the boat is smoking, and then the boat explodes. An explosive motorboat. Mm, Yes. The Doctor and Joe are a little concerned about this, obviously, because they are now stranded on this fort. They find the body of the stereoid dude led on the floor, and they can hear something coming towards them, and that's the end of episode one. But we have already seen the sea devil in a nightgown. Yes, in his lovely little yeah string vest, his little, little blue string vest nightgown thing. But that sea devil uh, was played by Pat Gorman, and he's back. We've seen him before many times. Similar to Cy Town from last episode, did various uncredited roles from 1964 to 1985, and we have seen him so far in Enemy of the World, Inferno, Caves of Andrazani, Attack of the Cybermen, and now the Sea Devils. Why? Good old Pat Gorman. And thing is, I can't, I can't see any. I've not been able to find any reference to him being related to the actor Burn Gorman, who played Owen in Torchwood. Okay, but they look like they could be related, even if it's distantly. I would not be surprised. So I'm choosing to make that headcanon that they are related, and it's another link to Doctor Who. Perhaps we should find them on Twitter and ask them. Yeah, can do. I'll give it a pop after, the, after we finish recording. Yeah, unless they're like estranged or something, and we're just going to rekindle an old family feud or something. Yeah, they're, they're, well, that's it's the risk that we have to run. You know, it's uh, mm. it's one of the things. Also, For one of the um, purposes. Yeah, I missed one. Castleguard Barkley um, is played by a fellow called Terry Walsh, and he falls into the Pat Gorman side town uh, category of sort of unsung heroes. Um, because not only is he uncredited as Castleguard Barkley here, he was also a fighter ranger, so choreographer and stunt double for, for eight years, 1971 to 1979, that included 17 serials, including The Deadly Assassin that we're going to cover in a couple of weeks. Why? Okay. Interesting. So he is responsible for the wonderful sword fighting scene we see shortly. I'd assume so. And I tell you what, as far as Doctor Who goes, it wasn't that bad. It's a damn sight better than uh, than the uh, the dodgy grapple that we saw in the uh, in the Hartnell episode last season with uh, with Czar and yeah. uh, and what what's his chops? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but episode two, back to it, opens up with a lot of heavy breathing and uh, uh, an insane Irishman. Mm. Yeah, it turns out it's not a sea devil that they can hear moving towards them. It's just a random dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Who's jabbering about sea devils? Yeah, yeah. But then uh, they do see the sea devil. <laughs> they do. They do. It's uh, <laughs> pops out. Pops out in his nighty and asks if they, asks if they want a cup of tea. Yeah, do you want a Horlicks? Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what gets me about the sea devils as well? Right. 
when you look at, I mean, this is 1972. This is 50 year old television. Okay. So they've done a, I think they've done a pretty decent job for when this was aired. They look, I mean, I call Charlie into the bedroom. They come look at these aliens, Charlie, tell me what you think. And she's never seen the sea devils before. And she actually said this time, normally she laughs a lot. The classic who bad is, but on this occasion, she actually went, Oh, I don't like them. They look all slimy and weird and gross. No, I don't like them. They're creepy, which was great to hear her actually respond like that, you know, but that in my head, I couldn't get away from the whole slimy thing once she had pointed it out because they do look slimy lizard, like living under the water and so on, which then led to me thinking they must really stink. Then you think about stagnant water or dormant water or anything you drag out of the sea. It has a whiff to it. Yeah. So the sea devils must reek, man. Seaweed and fish turds. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mind you, the, the, if it was, if they were coming out of the sea on uh, on Britain's beaches nowadays, they would actually be covered in shit. So yeah. they probably smelt a lot better back then. But we won't go into the political side of that. That's it. No. No, no. no. We've got some wee woo beep boop to do. Hooray! Because uh, Joe and the Doctor, uh, they get the Irishman away. They get back into the uh, the room. The Doctor barricades the door. And I'll, oh wait, no, he doesn't yet, does he? Okay. Anyway, they're going back to the quarters. And uh, the doctor decides he's going to make a, uh, a transmitter out of one of the radios, and he tells us and tells us just how easy it is to convert a radio, which is a receiver, into a transmitter. He says it's simply a matter of modulating the signal. You connect the output of your loudspeaker into the input of your low frequency amplifier, and you connect the output of your low frequency amplifier into your oscillator. You use your loudspeaker as a microphone, and there you are, as if you know. Standard knowledge, really, around my way. I was taught that in school. I, mean, I assume yeah. you were as well. Yeah, well, playgroup, actually. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, a little bit younger than you. You know, schools get worse as time goes on. Everybody says yeah. so. Um, so I didn't get that until uh, until year six. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Charlie's made four of them this morning alone, so. Yeah, just for fun. Yeah, yeah just, just just for shits and giggles, yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, 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 two-year, my two-year-old niece made an interstellar communication device for a laugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're probably talking to each other right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the doctor to build this uh, transmitter radio contact device, however, he has to go out and, and find some parts, doesn't he? <laughs> this was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Sorry, yeah. They haven't bumped into the sea devil yet because the doctor and the sea devil almost literally bump into each yeah, other. Yeah, and they both go, huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, oh, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the sea devil's head nearly falls off because the costumes do that thing where they have to give him like a roughly human-sized body but an elongated neck with the head on yeah. top so it's just enough to fit the actual human head inside. Yeah, oh, it's, it's God, funny, it, isn't it? Their neck is very human head shaped. I've, I've not seen a neck that big since James Milner. <laughs> uh, the Doctor runs back to Joe through some very 1960s Batman-esque corridors. where they've oh, Johnny, Johnny Camrangles. Yeah, oh man. It was like the, like the Joker's lair or the Penguin's cave or whatever from 60s Batman, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. Loved it. And that's, that, this is when the barricade the door. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he wires the door up to the mains, I think, in some way. Yeah, he wires the handle to the mains because it's a metal door. And the doctors theorise that because the sea devils can cause scorch marks underwater, whatever weapons they have will melt through the metal door. Mm. And obviously, he's the doctor, so he's right. Um, yes. But the sea devil, rather than melt the entire door, melts a hole, reaches in, grabs the handle. If the sea devil had just taken the time to melt the door, the doctor's plan had been fucked. Mm-hmm. 
but you know, convenient. Yeah, that happens a couple of times. Convenient things. Oh, the thing world. is, I don't necessarily mind it because it's not within the, it's not outside of the realms of logic that someone would think, well, I'll just get a hole in the door, reach in, and unlock it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, makes sense. Yeah, makes I can sense. let it slide. Uh, they, they zap the sea devil. He, he legs it and goes back to the sea whilst making some very odd noises. And <laughs> the doctor, um, don't, don't, let's not go down that road. <laughs> and that's the noise the sea devil makes. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. Uh, the doctor, um, he's built his radio. But apparently Captain Hart has really got some concerns or, or Blythe, I think you said the, the lady's name was, his, his yes. secretary has really got some concerns because they've not been the doctor and John haven't been seen for a while. So they've already got a, a, a helicopter out, sea rescue, I think it is, out looking for them. So when they sing, I liked this because it explained why they got from where they were to where they were going so quickly. The transport yeah. was already out there just looking for their location, which they then gave. So it didn't jump around too much like that previous story we watched. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was good. It was, and it all fits within the realms of logic. It didn't take too long to set up. It was it's fit into two lines in my notes, just mm. to say, Hart comes into his office. He gets the report from Blythe. They can't reach the fort. Hart calls AC Rescue to check it out. Boom, done. Yeah, yeah, works very well. Uh, yeah. The Doctor then explains that the Sea Devils used to inhabit the Earth before the humans. And they effectively they effectively want their planet back is kind of the rough gist, isn't it? Yeah, they're related to or in the same sort of genus or of species of, uh, of Silurians. Mm. Which, which John Pertwee's previously. not heard, yeah. dealt with quite recently as well. And ended up they ended up getting like blown up by the brigadier in that story when yeah. the doctor was trying to negotiate for peace and didn't quite get the job done, which you get a few a few throwbacks in this story. Almost a doctor feeling guilty that he didn't get the job done with the Solarians episode or story, which, previously. I, which I do like, and and I'll come to that later on. But this plays out nearly forty years later with uh, with Matt Smith, the whole failure of the, with the Silurians and the Sea Devils. They come back to it in Matt Smith's era, which I think is okay. brilliant. Uh, and it actually gives me a greater appreciation for those episodes now, but I've got those in my notes for when we get to get to the sort of the peace negotiations later on. Mm. One little story point that annoys that annoyed me here um, is that the doctor says that he thinks the sea devils have been awoken by activity in the fort to bring it back to you know bring it back to into use. Yes. So why were the sea devils awoken at the activity now? but not when the thing was built, when they would have already been in hibernation. Mm, that's a good point. Like I say, it's best not to question it because it doesn't really matter. But Perhaps the master had sort of, for want of a better term, given him a bit of a nudge beforehand. But he would have been able to because his, his communication device isn't, fi- isn't finished. Oh, yeah. But anyway, well, it's by the by, it's whatever, it's just... Just don't think about it too much and roll with it. It's Saturday afternoon. It's it's you know it's evening TV from fifty years ago. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, but, but one thing I do like is that the doctor says they still think of Earth as their planet. As far as they're concerned, man is just an ape that got above himself. And I see his point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a lot of lines in this, and a lot of I suppose um, digs at the human race potentially. 
they're quite subtle. They're not like smashing you in the face, but that one there, I thought was quite good. And also when there's negotiations for peace between two warring factions, effectively, and it's just literally a matter of timing screws it up a couple of times later on. I think that's quite a reflection on things that have happened in our history. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, it's, 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 it's just, it's just very well done. Mm. And it's great allegories. And it's like, we've said, um, We've said before that certain episodes can slap, like you said, just slap you in the face with the point they're trying to make to the point that you don't give a shit about it. This yeah. is done in such a way that it makes you think, that it, it, it draws you to your own conclusion. It, it it shows you the way rather than just telling you. Yeah, yeah, good shot. Yeah. Uh, the Master is here. He has been sneaked onto the sea base by Trenchard. And- <laughs> with his little hat. Yeah, his little hat, and he's dressed in um, naval uniform, and Joe spots the master. He's there to collect some electronic devices to help him build this machine that he has told Trenchard will uh, effectively call out spies, saboteurs, and so on, and make Mm -hmm. him a war hero. But it's actually to awaken more of the sea devils and have a link with them. So he's using trenchard a great he's using he's using his naivety and his i suppose goodwill against him potentially mm. yeah he is and he's, he's also very clever in how he deploys trenchard because he sends trenchard in to talk to captain hart about a golf tournament mm-hmm. he's shocked to see the doctor and joe because he's already lied about them about how they left I th- or is that later on I, I keep getting confused in the timeline of this now even though i only uh only watched it recently. But anyway, since yeah. talked to Hart about a golf tournament and he just waffles on. Just keeps waffling and because everybody's far too polite to tell him to piss off. Yeah. They'll just happily let him stand there and talk. It's like, oh, but you know, you know, we'd love to have you, but if you can't make it, don't worry about it. But of course, we'd love to have you play. You're a fantastic player. But if you can't make it, don't worry about it. But we'd love to have you, but I could always arrange a substitute. You know, well, maybe I should call such and such. And it's just like, we've all been in that situation where somebody is just completely draining the life out of you and just will not show up about nothing. I just, I've got more important things to do. Fuck off. Yes. But they're all too polite to a point, which is the perfect distraction for to have the main sort of guy not looking for the master to go in and steal all the stuff. Mm-hmm. But Joe spots him. On the way out. Yeah, yeah, a bit late, Joe, but at least you got there in the end. At least you yeah. got there in the end. Uh, Joe calls the doctor over to the window. By this point, the master is gone. But as always, as as the doctor should, he takes Joe's word for it. Yeah. The, uh, the the alarm is sounded. There's guards running all over the place, but they've already slipped out just before that happens, and the and the base goes into lockdown. And I wanted to back to the prison. Yeah, sorry, I wanted to say about this. Two things. I'm glad the Doctor took Joe's word for it because it makes up for some of the other shit in the serial. Mm. But also, what is with those weird doorless cars? Yeah, that is strange. Open top, no, it's just a basic frame. Mm. I mean, later on, we do see one carrying extra people because they can stand where the doors were. So perhaps because they're just on a military base, they can be used for shunting people about. I don't know, but yeah, it's... uh... Yeah, but they they have Land Rovers on the naval base. And these, yeah, these the little the little open cars are from the prison. Yeah, that is weird. But if they're if they're open to avoid hiding people in them, the master got around that using a fucking picnic blanket. 
<laughs> that was brilliant. He's just curled up in the boot with a picnic blanket over him. It was awesome. Trenchard, Trenchard's just stuck the dog's bed over him. Yeah. And it's just like, well, ah, bear. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's what I just, just, ah, Joe and the doctor head back to the prison to confront the master and Trenchard and so on. But the Trenchard's saying, no, he's been here all along. What are you on about, you crazy old man? And all this sort of nonsense. And it, it, it basically, it ends up being the, the master is convincing Trenchard, oh, let him in here. I'll have a chat with him. And he gets a gun off a guard, doesn't he? So he's planning on killing the doctor. Yeah, it's, it's, the master abandons all subtlety. Yes. yes it's totally. so weird. It, it, it's, but also at the same time, you know, the master is quite psychotic, so... Mm. Maybe, maybe makes sense. It's it's the fact that he reaches into the vent and, and blocks it up. I thought he was blocking a camera. And me. That's what I thought he was doing. Yeah. Um, one thing that did amuse me was that uh, they'd find Trenchard, you know, pissing about with his putter in his office, and that's not a euphemism. And then <laughs> when, they're set, when they're setting all this up, the doc, he comes back and the doctor's blindfolded himself. <laughs> he's, he's got his golf club and he's just putting, just does a perfect put into a glass. What would have been great is if Trenchard turned to him and said, what are you doing Wednesday? Yeah. <laughs> with, with that tournament in mind, you know? <laughs> yeah. Actually, that would have been fully in character as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It'd, uh, it'd be quite good. But um, sorry, there was uh, the person that the master knocked out was Chief Petty Officer uh, Smedley. Right. And he was played by Eric Mason, who is a senior prison officer, who is senior prison officer Green in Mind of Evil in 1971 and for the second week in a row we have an actor who was in hot fuzz he played bernard cooper oh okay that's quite cool as well yeah i only put it in there because we had hot fuzz last week with uh, uh, what played leslie tiller yeah no that's cool i like that i like that uh the doctor goes in to see the master and the master pulls a gun on him so the doctor gets around this incredibly dangerous situation by going good afternoon and just shutting the door yeah which is hysterical yeah and then, and then the master opens the door up, he's got the gun, and the doctor just karate kicks the gun out of his hand. Action doctor, this is, isn't it? A proper action doctor. Love yeah. it. Um, there's two swords on the wall right next to an incredibly dangerous prisoner's cell. So that isn't well thought out at all, I don't think. But it would be very much like the British government, any British government, just to say, oh, well, we couldn't possibly take down the um, the historic blah blah blah. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but what if what if what if what if crazy mango stabby stab? That <laughs> 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 uh, tickled you far too much. That was funny. Crazy mango stabby stab. Oh dear. Or a or Scottish Danny calls it Friday night. <laughs> if I ever get around to finishing this book that I've been working on for years and years and years about serial killers, that's going to be the title of it now. Crazy what if Crazy Mango Stabby's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when Crazy Mango Stabby Stab. Yeah, and just the tale of various serial killers. <laughs> oh, I wonder if that would be in poor taste. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer go nom nom. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Down we go. Vroom, vroom. Nom 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 nom. <laughs> that could be like a chapter header. 
<laughs> Good luck spelling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know we're laughing ridiculously at that. We could be laughing ridiculously at this. The do- Doctor Who and the Master, uh, the Doctor and the Master, sorry, have a sword fight, and it's one of the most daft, ridiculous things I've ever seen. But at the same time, it was fucking brilliant. I love this sword fight. It was too like they're not they're like uh, fen- they're like fencing swords, like epics. Yes. So they're not going to do much, really. Mm. The, the, the blades are particularly sharp. The, the wobble around. They might, you know, if they get a decent thrust on point, they might be able to stab them. You know, get a bit of the human being juice spurting out. But it's 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 just wonderful. It's just two old two older fellas <laughs> just on guard. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. We, we, we learned this at boarding school. And you know Pertwee is having the time of his life with this, don't you? You can just oh, see God. on his face, he is when loving life right when now. When he's rolling over tables and he's, he's doing the big dramatic, ah, oh, I'm blocking the chair, and all the rest of it, it's it's brilliant. And then <laughs> it's when he goes behind the curtain and the master's like slashing at the curtain. The, doc, the, the doctor just walks around the back. Mm. I would he's do like, that if I were you. That's government property. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got strong um, with that and I imagine the moment we're going to come to shortly that apparently you, you're going to have a little rant about with the sandwiches oh, the, um, not not quite yet but this is the start not quite yet okay I get strong Roger Moore as James Bond vibes here from it's, what I've seen of it yes it's just Pertwee and, and the one liners and the almost kind of winking at the audience haha I'm smarter than everyone that's all Roger Moore as Bond almost because Moore's Bond was a little bit more lighthearted and comical than what mm. came before him. And I get that feeling here. And and Roger Moore took over as Bond, Live and Let Die, I think, came out in like 70 or 71 or something like that. So it's roughly the same era that this was released as well. So I wonder if this was literally a, a, a thing of the time. Oh, oh, Pertwee was sort of paying homage. Mm. to Pertwee was maybe paying homage to, um, to Moore's Bond. Yeah, okay. You know, and getting this sort of thing. Because, I mean, look, I always find that violent exercise makes me hungry. Wouldn't you agree? And he takes a bite of the master's sandwich. <laughs> the Brilliant. cheeky, cheeky bastard. But this sets up a pattern of behavior in this serial. Okay. Because later, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to get, out, get it out of the way now. Later on, uh, after many things have happened, the Doctor and Joe are back in Hart's office. And Blythe brings Joe a cheese sandwich. Yes. Because she's obviously a bit hungry. The doctor then, because he's a bit of a dick, as we've already established, says, what do you think this is, a picnic, and takes the sandwich offer, just to be an arsehole. Mm. There's no need for it at all. And he's talking to her, and then he starts eating the sandwich. And then he offers Hart a bit, after he's eaten two of them. Hart doesn't want any. Then he offers Blythe the sandwich that she's just got, so she eats a bit. By the time the plate, by the by the time the plate gets back to Joe, there's nothing left. The fucking cheek of the doctor and the audacity to take someone else's food off him and then eat it. She should have just kicked him in the dick and walked out. Quite frankly, (laughs) do all the sea monsters yourself, you sandwich stealing bastard. She (laughs) should have punted him in the spuds so hard it would give him a new regeneration. It's not on. It's fucking not on. Imagine, imagine if somebody did that to you. How fucking fuming would you be? I'd be cross, mate. I'd be cross. Could you imagine as well, though, that there's that video on YouTube that has got millions of views where it's all the Doctor's regenerations cut together. 
Could yeah. you imagine that if, if like you know, ten minutes into that famous vid- YouTube video, there's a scene of John Pertwee regenerating just because Joe Grant has kicked him in the bollocks? That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? And then fully deserved that. Just these people are bastards. Joe's hungry. She asked for a sandwich. She got fuck all. Yeah, it's funny it's as well sh- actually seeing them get something to eat because. I mean, that's what the big one that sounds like for me is Bradley Walsh's character much, much, much later. Turn around and go, there's never any food. <laughs> yeah, I did think about that. And then later on, as the Doctor's going to go into this observation pod to try and make contact with the Sea Devils, Joe has been nothing but concerned for him, this whole thing. And as always, you know, where's the Doctor? Is he all right? She really, really cares for him and, and wants to keep him right and make sure he's safe. She, he's about to go in this pod to go down to God knows what, She's terrified for him. She's giving this this lovely big smile as he's leaving. Give her, a, you know, just give her a hug as you leave. He just slapped, literally, just taps, just slaps her on the face <laughs> a couple of times. Yeah. It's like, it's like, as if it, as, as if it's, I mean, you wouldn't even do that to a kid. No. You know, you, a kid, you'd ruffle their hair. You wouldn't just go like, see you later. Oh dear me! I feel so. I feel sorry for Joan. She's. All she does is try and help mm. and try and tell the truth and is worried for people's safety. And the doctor mostly treats her like a dick, apart from the bit where he rolls over barbed wire for her. So I suppose that kind of balances out a bit of it. Yeah. But he still ate the fucking sandwich. But he jumped on the barbed wire purely because, you know, John Pertwee, action doctor. He, he was bumping like fully over that barbed wire, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, the master is overpowered in this sword fight. Uh, the doctor makes some James Bond esque little quip. Turns how many? It's uh, it's how many times have I told you violence will get you nowhere? Yes, and the master throws a knife, and the screen goes a little bit, you know, distorted. I suppose as the as the camera tries to follow the knife, and it goes into the end credits because that's the cliffhanger for that episode, Dan. And that's where the doctor died. Exactly, mate. So join us next week on the doctor <laughs> <laughs> for the episode not seen very often, the doctor's funeral, um, <laughs> where everybody eats Joe's food except her. Yeah, and she is cross um, <laughs> because she catered the wick and didn't get a bite to eat. <laughs> not a single Scotch egg, no cheese and pineapple on a stick, nothing. Not so much as a mini sausage roll. Poor Joe. Uh, she's great in this as well. I think she looks. I think she looks great in this as well. You know. Yeah, she's she's just brilliant all round. A little, mm. little bit on the naive side where she's she's very slowly trying to explain to Hart. But okay, so you see, there were these other aliens that proved that these aliens exist, as if yeah. it's all completely normal. Because by that point, to her, it is normal. Yep. And it's it'd be very easy to fall into thinking that this sort of thing's common knowledge, when it really isn't. No. So Joe does fantastic this this serial. And also she just gets shit on. We get a great deal of that in, in the next episode, to be fair. I mean initially the the episode starts with the knife missing the doctor because Trenchard has walked into the room asking what the hell's going on. The doctor turns and the knife just goes in the wall next to him. The master convinces Trenchard that he was attacked by the doctor, so the doctor gets effectively imprisoned, I suppose. Yes. And Joe is the one who who basically helps the doctor and, and climbs through windows and all sorts of stuff, isn't she? Yeah, well, the doctor sends her off and just like, look, go back to the base, tell Hart what's going on. We need help. But the but Trenchard is, wants to stop her leaving and she manages to get away, which, you know, good honour. She decks yeah, a couple she, of guards. 
Yeah, she takes a couple of them out. So it's, it's, it's Action Joe as well as Action Doctor. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is brilliant. That's, you know, it's what you want to see. Um, but yeah, and... Yeah, like I said, she got she got quite shit on, but at least um, at least she got a few licks in herself and got a good couple of she got to rough up a few people. Mm, yeah, yeah. And whilst this is going on, and we'll come back to Joe and the Doctor in a moment, we hear a submarine is being sent out to look at the bottom of the sea to try and find out what's going on, um, and it's being manned by a group of sailors that look like they are either going to a funeral or they're waiters somewhere. It's a big tube full of semen. It is indeed. <laughs> Did you notice? Well, there's no, there's no um, military markings or marine markings or naval markings on them. They're literally wearing a shirt and a black tie. They look it's, like they're it's about a to big, bring out. It's a big tube of unidentified semen. <laughs> exactly. It looks like they're about to bring out trays of champagne to a party or something, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, and actually, I do believe that there's a couple of people on this. Um, uh, on this ship, one of them, uh, I think, I believe, is uh, Commander Ridgeway, who uh, was played by Donald Sumter. I, can't, I don't know if it's this or later on when we have the other um, when we have the other ships coming into play, but I'll just get him out of the way now because he's never actually sp- uh, spoken by name. I don't think. Okay. So C- Commander Ridgeway, Donald Sumter, uh, played Enrico Casali in Wheeling Space in 1968, and then this is a rarity. Went on to play Erasmus Darkening in Eternity Trap which was a Sarah Jane Adventures episode in 2009. Oh, okay. and, he then, and he then went on to play the Time Lord President in Hellbent in 2014, which is the, uh, the follow-up episode to Heaven Sent that we covered last season. Why? Yeah. That's brilliant. There you go. Yeah, that's awesome. And he, that was, he was also um, one of the prominent uh, maesters in uh, Game of Thrones. He was right. Maester uh, Lewin. I wonder if these people, like um, Gorman, who you mentioned, is it Pat Gorman you mentioned? Yes. And uh, Simon T? Sightown. Sightown, sorry. I wonder if these people genuinely love Doctor Who, like we do, or they despise sci-fi and they're just doing it for the money. I don't know, but there's there's a guy I'm actually annoyed I didn't recognise straight off the bat, because there's a character in this uh, later on called Lieutenant Commander Mitchell, who's played by, and <laughs> I don't think he's related to me, but he's played by David Griffin. And he is better known as Emmett in Keeping Up Appearances. Emmett. Which one was the uh, The brother of the neighbour. It was always terrified of Hyacinth. Oh, yeah. The, okay. piano, the piano playing one, and she always, she always wants to sing for him. And he yeah. says, will, you, will she just fuck off? Yeah, I, I hate that program so much. I hate it. I hate that woman. I hate that program. <laughs> oh, it, honestly, as a I've, kid, I despised it. And it, as I got older, I've just got more and more worse opinions of her. I, I, I have... I, I have dealt with Patricia Outledge on, uh, on a personal level, well, professional level, because uh, she... I'm obviously I'm not going to say who I work for, but she uh, she came to the company I work for for our uh, for our services, and she was absolutely fine. She was lovely, but because she's getting on a bit now, um, she seems to have adopted the um, the hyacinth voice, oh, and because she's a bit deaf and a bit sort of scatterbrained in her old age, if she can't hear you, she'll just go, she'll just go repeat. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> but because it was her, I found it hysterical. So, 
I mean, I've got to ask the question because people will be like, you know, listening to this show. And you yeah. say you're not gonna you're not gonna name where you work, and that is absolutely fine. Of course, we don't expect that. But you say that Patricia Routledge, who is now ninety three, came to you for some services. Yeah, I sent Buff Bagwell out to her. <laughs> Fair enough. I work in travel. It was for all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was making a joke that you, you've given Patricia Routledge a servicing. That was all. That's why I said I sent Buff Bagwell. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> because, because I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you off air, but I do happen to know something about the age range of Buff Bagwell's clientele when he was working as a jingler. Fantastic. I, I'll be honest. I never thought, even though this television program we're reviewing today is fifty years of age, and we're talking about John Pertwee and all the all the great stuff that's happening in this story, you could have given me a hundred guesses what would come up in our conversation today, and you potentially shagging Hyacinth Bouquet wasn't one of them <laughs> but, but, but me sending buff bagwell to shag hyacinth bouquet was yes of course <laughs> <laughs> anyway um Where were we? <laughs> we, we were talking about a tube full of semen we were indeed uh joe finds the doctor uh, as again at the same time as captain hart wondering where they are again we see the two, you know, cut back and forth in the two scenes. Joe climbs in uh, through a window again. Action, Joe, and the, the doctor well, frees the doctor, and the doctor calls the guard into the room. And Joe crouches down behind him and lets the doctor push him over her, like you did oh, at no, 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 no. in school. He, he doesn't push him over. John Pertwee, Zinedine Zidane's the fuck out of that oh, guy. Yeah. Headbutts yeah. him in the stern. <laughs> yeah, and Joe's just curled up in a little ball behind his legs to knock him yeah. over. Yeah, I love action, Joe. She's brilliant. Yeah, it's um, great. But before that, we uh, we I've just got to say, they did a great job with the submarine stuff. We actually got some stock footage of a submarine diving. And then mm-hmm. the underwater stuff, again, for the for 72 and for the budget, I think it looked great. But more importantly, because I've been making jokes about a tube full of semen, I did happen to note that while they were giving orders, they were talking about blow cue, which is, I'm assuming, a line that's standing for blow jibbers. Okay. Blow cue. <laughs> We're going from stabby stabby to sucky suck. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Cut that um, out if you want. That was a crap joke. That's a, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll keep it in, mate. Um, <laughs> Will you now? Hey, hey. There we go. That's what Mrs. UK wanted. Um, <laughs> Buff, Buff is the stuff. I know. Bucket. No, 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 no. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this I'm that I'm that fat. When you said that, I was like, "Haha, vaginas," but also oh, KFC bag and bucket. I could eat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, this serial is actually filmed in conjunction with the, the Royal Navy, isn't it? They they thank them at the end of the story as well, at the end of the episodes, and that's how we've got all the use. Because the, the, I think this is a really ambitious project for the BBC at this time in the yeah. early seventies. And we've got the use of all these boats and equipment and uh, the, the, the sailors and all this sort of stuff. Um, apparently, at one stage, the reason... Well, I, I mentioned earlier on the, the, the waiters in the submarine not wearing any actual um, naval gear. Mm. It's because they weren't, they weren't using costumes for the naval gear that the, the sailors were wearing, say, at the fort or the, or the sea base or anything like that they were actually using proper soldiers as extras or they were asking, can we borrow that guy's uniform and so on when they were filming there Mm. and the submarine scene 
was actually shot in a studio away from that location. So they had no uniforms to borrow, and that's why they looked the way they did. Fair enough. I like that. Yeah, it's like you say, it's very ambitious, and this it, so much of it did go above and beyond what I expected in terms of on-location shooting, shooting on the water, mm. um, and things like that. It, it really is a good step, two steps, five steps above what you'd expect. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, meanwhile, as, as Joe is rescuing the doctor or crouching up on a little board and knocking people over and so on, <laughs> the the submarine has found something at the bottom of the sea, but then it starts losing power and weird shit starts going on. But they kind of leave it there, don't they? They cut away from that quite quickly. Which is terrifying. Oh, yeah. Like the idea of that, I get claustrophobic, I get claustrophobic anyway, but the thought of that just... No, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather not. The The master is, is tinkering with the machine he has built that is supposed to be raising the sea devils, but he's told Trenchard is going to expose enemy spies. And I feel for Trenchard a little bit here now, at this point, as we're coming to the end of episode three. I actually feel for him because he's just that naive. And the, the master has... And again, it comes back to how great uh, Delgado is, I suppose. He's this horrible, evil bastard. But he's coming across quite charming and, and almost nice mm. to Trenchard. And you can see, I think, how Trenchard has kind of let his guard down and let him let the master in, so to speak. Yeah, you, you can see that. It's, it's Trenchard's worrying, he's fretting, he's saying he can't keep up with the lies and, and all of that. But the master keeps keeps egging him on. He's like, you can do this. You you, you know, we need to do this. Think of, you know, mm. Queen and Country and and, and all this, this last hurrah, and he's playing him like a fiddle. It yeah. really is. It's a real testament to, to Delgado's performance and, and the actual writing. And then Trenchard's performance as well, because he, he plays it to a T. He really mm. does. Um, you know, even down to the bit where, you know, Trenchard's ordering all hands to find the Doctor and Joe, and a guard sees them and they're going towards the minefield. But the master says, oh no, just let them get to the beach. We'll use it to test the machine. Yeah. Yeah, really. And it's another it's another good cliffhanger. We get a bit more action doctor and action Joe as they rappel down the cliff. Yeah, uh, with the master, the rope. Yeah, a conveniently placed rope. Um, and, uh, the master, uh, master and uh, Trenchard get there suspiciously quickly. But then I suppose if they know where they're going and it's not a big, not a big area, then mm. fine. Um, and the doctor and Joe are then stuck as... One of the little shitty cars pulls up with about six dudes hanging off it, all with guns. <laughs> the doctor spots the minefield sign, and we get the dramatic zoom. Yeah, and, that was uh, extreme mas- close up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the master, the master turns on the device, and then the sea devils who look to just be napping in about three inches of water all decided to to arise. Mm. And that there is the cliffhanger for that episode. And I thought that was bloody fantastic. He's the doctor and Joe are cornered, aren't they? They can't go in one direction because of the gunman. They can't go towards the water because of the sea devil. They can't go towards the minefield because, you know, fucking mines. Do you know? It's like, it, I think it's big brilliant. boom boom. Yeah, exactly. mate. Exactly. I, think I don't know why I'm doing that. I don't know why I'm doing that this episode. but <laughs> <laughs> It's just the way my brain is at the minute. <laughs> But as episode four starts, this is where we get the action doctor again, isn't it? Because he's flattening the barbed wire 
because they decide they're going to go to the minefield. That's their best option. They think that at this little situation where they can't escape in any direction, the minefield is p- perhaps <laughs> the best of a bad bunch. Can't get up the cliff. Certain death running towards the blokes with guns. Certain death running towards the sea devils with sci-fi guns. Might maybe just get away with losing a leg. Yeah. Going over the minefield. You know, could, could hop away, maybe. Mm. But yeah, the, the doctor bumps like Mick Foley over that barbed wire. It was funny, wasn't it? It's <laughs> just like, what do I do with this barbed wire? Flop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all those people in prisons all over the world watching this must have just gone, oh, yeah, why didn't we think of that? You know? <laughs> because the barbed wire is usually on top of a, a massive wall. Well, this is true, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what I did like as well, it's a bit... I think this this is one of the earliest examples we've seen on the show of the Doctor using the sonic screwdriver like this, using yeah. it as a mind detector, which it makes it just feel so far ahead of its time. I mean, I, that was funny to me because he uses the mind detector. Sorry, he uses the sonic screwdriver as a mind detector. They get so far into the minefield, and the Sea Devil is following them. After the Sea Devil has, you know, shot a load of the people with guns and whatnot. Hmm. The Doctor then uses the sonic screwdriver to explode the mines to make the sea devil run back to the sea and then turns back around and starts using it to detect mines again so they can get out the other end. If I was yeah. Joe, I'd be thinking, look, if you can just make them go bang so we have no risk of stepping on them, why don't you just do that? Because avoiding them means they've got more mines to use if other people start following them. Uh, yeah. See, this is why I'd die in a situation like this. but yeah that's that's the way i'd explain that because they use the few minds to injure the sea devil getting back that way if the master and everybody whoever tries to follow the gunman for some reason try to chase it chase him down or Mm -hmm. maybe one that's left (laughs) later dudes (laughs) yeah yeah that's true that's true or even or even if the other if the other sea devils yeah because yeah, it, right. it went from it went from like four of them coming up out of the surf to just one of them fucking about. Yeah, that's true. But he was the brave one, or he drew the short straw. It's like, yeah, you go on, Gary. You're the one. You you go across their mines, pal. I, I was why, just I was about to call him Barry. Oh, I don't know why the Sea Devils called Gary. I, I don't know. But... <laughs> Oi, um, Terry says 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 it's your turn to do mines, mate. Yeah. I don't. I don't make. I don't make the rules. Yeah, yeah it's the way it is. I did it. I did it last time. Yeah, yeah I know. I know there were dummies, but I, I wasn't to know that. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> I don't um, know why I just had an argument with imaginary sea devil, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, as all this is happening, a sea devil has basically got onto the sub, hasn't it? It's melted the door, walked yes. in, and again, we cut away from that relatively quickly as well, don't we? We only get like a little short glimpse of what's going on on the sub there. Yeah, and we've, but we've also had heart worried about the submarine. They're really using Hart and his office as a sort of central point to get everything else where it needs to be, mm. which I think is really clever. Yes. Because we've already seen Hart was the catalyst for getting the Doctor and Joe off the fort. Hart has sent the submarine out looking. Hart is now wondering where the submarine is, so we'll be instrumental in finding that and getting people where they need to be. It, it, it seems so simple a thing, but so many episodes of Doctor Who and other and wider television don't do it mm-hmm. and just have just have this person is here now because we need them to be. Yeah, 
Yeah, totally. Uh, the, the doctor is talking to Hart as well about the sea devils and they're convincing them of, of you know, what, what they are and what's going to happen. Cause he doesn't buy it at first. Does he, uh, you wouldn't, would you? It's tours like big lizards no. coming out of the water. And this, this is the bit where Joe's trying to tell him about it. He just dismisses it because you would, it sounds a bit nuts. And this is the bit with the sandwich. Right. Okay. Bastards. <laughs> I repeat, uh, I've been through it once, but I repeat bastards. Yes. Food stealing gets, um, the master at this point though, he's using his device to effectively summon the sea devils now, isn't he? And he's, he's had a conversation with them and basically they're, they're going to attack the prison. Yeah. But this is already and this, this bit sows the seeds of, of sort of discord with, between the master and Trenchard because he's fucking about with the machine mm-hmm. and he's obviously communicating with them. Trenchard is suspicious, but the master explains away the return messages feedback and Trenchard clocks it, but just doesn't try and let on. So this yeah. is where we realise that Trenchard's not as dumb as he makes out, and that a lot of it is just a veneer, and, and he, he is actually quite capable, mm-hmm. which I thought was a real nice sort of wrinkle to the character. Yeah, um, but, but the Sea Devils, though, they kind of, literally at the end of the episode here, they, they kind of do away with Trenchard now, don't they? The Sea Devils attack oh, the prison. Well, well, yeah, it's, and it's... Why? I won't say annoying because I don't think we needed more Trenchard in the serial. But just as he was coming round to the idea that the master's evil, he, he snuffs it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh dear, poor bloke, eh? Poor bloke. But at um, least he took a couple of with him on his way out because he gets his revolver out of his desk, which was quite cool. It was like yeah, you sort of old soldier's last stand sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And with regards to the Sea Devils as well, we're seeing quite a few of them now, aren't we? There's there's not just a little yeah. group. There's quite a few of them. But it's obvious to me that they only had six costumes for the Sea Devils yeah. <laughs> because they just use the same six over and over and over again in different areas to make it look like there's more of them. And one of them is really, really little. Yeah. <laughs> little Bobby Sea Devil. Yeah, did you see the little Diddy one? <laughs> no, I, I didn't register it at the time, but now you mention it, yeah, it's there. Um, but again, amidst all of this madness, we've got Hart searching for the submarine and, and they find the blip and they're going to go to the castle. Mm. Again, Hart is, the, is the, the, the central point, getting everybody to where they need to be. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Um, here, though, effectively, the next time we really see the Doctor is he's going down to inspect the seabed himself, isn't he? Yeah, he wants to get down there and have a look and try and make contact. So they find, they find obviously find Trenchard dead and think, right, we've got to get down there. So they have this observation pod and, you know, Joe and Hart are worried the doctor's getting lowered in. Um, it's it's one of This is one of the points where I thought, okay, these are sort of extended shots on the deck of the ship and yeah. the pod being lowered in, but you're getting to use this very expensive equipment. So... Now that I know, now that I know what you told me about the about it being filmed in conjunction with the navy, then yes, why wouldn't you show it off? Yeah, yeah, make exactly. it look more high budget and, and use it. Yeah, so it makes sense. And again, the, the episode, the, the serial, isn't bad for it. it. Isn't any worse for it. No. It just means they've padded a little bit of time, and and with this one at least, built the tension because you kind of know what's going to happen. You know that something, you know, it's got to be a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. So when the doctor looks out and a sea devil's right there, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, really cleverly done. Uh, they bring the pod, the 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 device that the doctor is in, back up. 
but the doctor's gone, hasn't he? Yes, it's yeah, a- Joe sticks her head in, has a look, yeah, and it's empty, and, and that's because the doctor died. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> episode five begins with the Sea Devils. Basically, they've got the Doctor in their lair. Uh, oh, but then yeah. we see another character arrive. I fucking hate this prick. Walker? Parliamentary Private Secretary Wanker. He is a piece Not of Walker. Shit. I, I refuse to call him Walker. He, this is played so well. I, I've, I've forgotten to write down the name of the guy who plays him. Uh, let me just see if I've got it open anywhere. Martin Body. Yes, Martin Body. What a part he plays here. He's only in what two episodes? This is. Yes. Yeah, he's only in two episodes. I hate this officious, pompous prick. But it, I tell you what, I looked into a parliamentary private secretary because I didn't know exactly what they did. So which end? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> that's, very, that's, that's very easy to answer because they work for MPs, therefore they're all assholes. Fair enough. <laughs> um, a parliamentary private secretary is a member of parliament in the UK who acts as an unpaid assistant to a minister or shadow minister, selected from backbench MPs as the eyes and ears of the minister in the House of Commons. So effectively, they're backbench MPs that, were, that do extra work for cabinet ministers or shadow, or shadow ministers. Right. Okay. So the one function of the uh, of a PPS is is to help the government to track backbench opinion in Parliament, and they are not official full members of the government. You know the actual front. You know the actual cabinet that is the government, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I have a feeling that Parliamentary Private Secretary Walker has vastly overstepped his uh, his position in what he does here. I don't remember Walker showing any ID at any point either. No. So even but even if he's there on behalf of a minister, when he starts calling for nuclear action and shit like that, even even a cabinet minister couldn't do that. It would have to go through. I'm sure it would. It'd have to go through the prime minister. It would then have to get the approval of of God knows who. Hmm. Yeah. Because this silly fucker, I mean, first off, he comes in, he just waltzes in, says, oh, I'm here to take control, blah, blah, blah. He says, oh, I don't, I don't want much for breakfast, just eggs, bacon, coffee, toast, and some rough-cut marmalade. Fucking mm-hmm. cheeky, fucking cheeky twat. Yeah, he's and just then he so has, easy to dislike, isn't he? Oh, and then he has the nerve. He just dumps his coat on Blythe, and it's a big old coat, just dumps it on her, and insist he's one of these twats who I saw this working in retail and I've seen it working in customer service roles in the past where he insists on being referred to by his title he's like oh no parliamentary private secretary not mister like fuck you yeah what a pretentious piece of shit oh he's a dick He's an absolute dick, and there'll be more of this, this knobhead across the next two episodes. He, I'm, I'll try not to use this word on this show, but he's an absolute pompous Great. That's me having to edit something tonight. <laughs> but that's the one time I'm saying it. Uh, okay, okay. Um, well, I'll, well, I'll one C-bomb per season. <laughs> <laughs> and you've used it already, so you have to bear that in mind, Okay. <laughs> I'm allowed one C-bomb per episode. 
the doctor is trying to convince the sea devils to go for peace i guess rather than war he's trying to say why can't we try and negotiate and you can share the planet there's plenty of places in the sea and the oceans that man doesn't get to you can have those and it, it, you could you could live together i guess which is what i was saying earlier matt smith revisits this in the um in the two-parter with the, one of them called the hungry earth i think or something like that when he's trying to get humans and silurians to negotiate peace mm-hmm. but in that two-parter spoiler alert when we get to it at some point in the next, in the coming seasons um it's not the well it's the humans and the Salurians, there's two, there's people in each side sort of out for blood and out for war and think that coexistence isn't possible. Right. So, it's, you know, it, it, it's a great revisiting of the same theme. Mm. Yeah, very clever. Very yeah. clever. Um, he almost convinces the Sea Devils, though. They're, they're open-minded at this stage a little bit. Not, not They don't guarantee they're going to go for this, but they're like, okay, we'll think about it. Yeah. And then the Master arrives and just screws it all up. No, he doesn't, though. It doesn't because you've got up top. You've got Wanker saying the only the only way to deal with it is to attack. Yes, and he's 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 already made a pigsty of Hart's desk, and as well as also already sending ships on their way. This is the yeah. thing as well that there's already ships on their way to attack before he's even discussed it with anybody. Because he's he's looked at the file on the on the Silurians and that the Brigadier blew them up. He has mm. the nerve to ask for more toast, the fat pig, and he's. <laughs> I hate him. I really you hate think, him. Uh, yeah. He's this he's the exact type of pompous, arrogant, ignorant, pig headed twat that does my heading. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um so he's hell bent on, on the attack taking place. Hart and Joe are, are urging caution. And just saying, you know, what well, it's you might kill the doctor and, and everyone on the submarine, and then it, it's murder. And he just says, "Well, war always is, my dear. Where on earth is that girl with my toast?" What oh, a you just, bastard! You just want to smack him in the face. And not only that, he only asked for it a minute ago. Mm. Give her a chance, you dick. Oh, he's such a twat. And then the doctor's begging the sea devils. The master comes in, and the master's kind of knacking it up for him, like you say. Because he points out that the Doctor tried to make peace before and, and the humans destroyed the Salurians, who were effectively the same race as the Sea Devils. Really similar. And yeah. the Doctor admits, said, yes, I tried to make peace, but I failed. And the Master's using that as ammo, but the Doctor argues that man isn't weak, but only too proficient at making weapons of annihilation and using them. Which I thought was a great... Again, it's one of those lines where you're just like... Well, yeah, you can't argue it. We're, we're pretty exactly. good at killing each other. Um, and But it still seems that the head sea devil is, is coming round to the doctor's way of thinking. But it's it's Wanker that knacks it up. Right. Because he's there giving it the whole cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. Prick. Oh, what asshole. He's, he's just, it, what was it in, um, oh, was it in the last episode where, or was it, I can't remember what it was. No, it's. Oh, never mind. The quote's gone out of my head. If I remember it later, I'll say it. Um, but it's. A, it's. Just, oh, that was it in uh, in Curse of Fenric when uh, saying, "Oh, you know, the pawns are fighting together now, and that war's a game where ri- uh, rich men send, um, you know, send poor men to die and things like that." Yeah. This is this fully encompasses that. Yeah. And 
we get the, the only good thing about it is we get to see more of the ships and it's all the guns going off and the big watery explosions and stuff like that which again is very good for 1972 yeah of course um, but yeah I just hate that guy because it all it all strikes just just as the doctor had practically negotiated peace mm. and this again comes back to what I was saying at the very start of our episode Dan it's it's two I suppose warring factions or two two different races i guess who are effectively scared of each other let's be honest the yeah. the human race are scared of the sea devils the sea devils want their planet back but are effectively scared of the humans the doctor convinces the sea devils they're not all that bad you could share the planet and they're like oh can we that never even dawned on us before yeah uh, by this stage the fear that the humans have for the sea devils has already ended up with missiles being launched and the timing of it is just slightly off so that the two sides can't have peace talks there's two sides can't have those discussions about sharing the planet because when one side here has just opened their mind to that possibility the other side is firing missiles at them yeah and it it, it made me think of uh the the greatest uh, monologue that Peter Capaldi gave, which was at the um, the Zygon invasion in version two part. It was the end of that when he boils down that all walls start and they always end with people doing what they should have done in the first place. And that's talking. Yeah. Yeah. And that whole speech. It, it, that is brilliant, isn't it? Oh, it, I can't wait to cover that, to cover that episode, to cover that episode and that speech. Cause I could probably do an hour just dissecting that speech alone and, and that performance. It was marvellous, but yeah. But the upshot of this is the base is under is under threat. It starts caving in. The doctor's been sent away to get executed. Thankfully, that leads to the doctor being able to escape, mm-hmm. um, you know, and get away. But yeah, wars on. Yeah, um, in in the sort of chaos of the the base getting um, bombed or shot with missiles or whatever it is the doctor manages to effectively rescue some of the sailors and get to the submarine, doesn't he? And when that happens, the captain of the submarine ends up killing one of the sea devils. And I, I liked this, not the killing of the sea devil, but I liked the way the doctor was disgusted with the fact that that happened. Yes. Yeah. It was brilliant. That, um, actually is, is that at this point or was that later on? That's at the end of, um, episode five, isn't it? I can't remember. So, like I say, I'm I'm, I'm all the. I'm, I think I may have even put some of my notes in the wrong place here. Um, okay. But anyway, yeah, it's. Um, oh no, I'm just. Never mind. Sorry, I was getting confused there. Um, but yeah, the, so the doctors. Yeah, that's at the end of episode five. But we get we get Hart finally standing up to Wanker, mm-hmm. and saying that there's no no need for any more shelling because they've seen bodies, seen a couple of bodies of the Sea Devils, which is all part of the ruse cooked up by the master to make the humans think that the base is destroyed yeah in this and time he, the doctor has got back to the office hasn't he because he's talking with walker around this time as well not quite it's, it's a good deal after this okay um because we've got the whole escape sequence of the uh, of the submarine but in this first argument between hart and wanker is they're saying would you want it said that you unnecessarily endangered the lives of naval personnel and he puts a re- he puts some real stank when he calls him he says would you want it said that you unnecessarily endangered the lives of naval personnel sir yeah <laughs> that, that was good go on hart we like that yeah, yeah the, the more polite you are as an englishman the more seething you are yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so at this point the um 
the doctors managed to yeah they've gone in the he's gone in the the sub they've killed the sea devil the doctor's annoyed he's annoyed at it but the sea devil this is after the doctor had freed the captain of the submarine and in his second in command yes so the sea devils then woken up and sounded the alarm that's how we got there right and the okay. master's the master's losing his shit mm-hmm. um and then it's a battle between the power of the submarine and the strength of the sea like force, force field force field they call it don't they yeah trying to keep yeah. them in place yeah, and the doctor decides that the <laughs> contrary to what he was saying before, the doctor decides the best way to do this is to fire torpedoes. Yeah, well, you know, I suppose they haven't got many options left, I guess. Well, yeah, it's either that or back into prison. Something I didn't really like is the way that the the, the I think either the captain or the second in command, one of the sailors anyway, says, "Well, if we do that and we're not properly clear, there's a chance that we blow up part of this area and it destroys the submarine as well." And the doctor simply just explains that away with, well, that's a risk you've got to take. And it's like, yeah, I weren't a fan yeah. of that. No, it, it felt very undoctor like. Yeah. But I suppose, again, needs must then got a lot of options. Mm, exactly, exactly. But, yeah. But yeah, I mean, after this, they, they do get away, obviously. They don't get destroyed by the torpedoes, thankfully. Otherwise, we, you know, we wouldn't have an episode six, I suppose. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, doctor... You say about the doctor going back... Sorry, cut, to cut you off again, just quickly. You say about the doctor going back into the office. Yeah. Um, he, he storms in saying, what idiot ordered an all-out attack just as I was on the verge of finding a peaceful, a peaceful solution. And Hart introduces wanker. And he's very pompous and idiot. You've just been talking about splendid lunch, or man. He's eating again. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh man, this dude. What does he? This what does he? What does he do apart from bomb shit and eat? Oh, I don't know. Man. We'll drop bombs on the toilet. I expect as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> but he, he, uh, he even he even uses the he even uses some lyrics from the forgotten part of the national anthem. Yeah. Confound their politics and confuse their knavish tricks. Oh, just. What a piece of shit. But the Doctor gets through to him. Almost. The Doctor almost convinces <laughs> him that peace is... Uh, there, there, there is a chance for negotiation and peace. And again, this I think this is, again, really well done because we've just had the timing slightly be off one way with the Doctor talking to the Sea Devils. And here he is now talking to the humans, I suppose. He's talking to Walker and, and convincing him that maybe we can give this a try. And Walker's almost going for it. But the timing is slightly off the other way this time because the sea devils are now attacking. Yeah, when when I said before about the politer an Englishman is, the uh, the more annoyed he is. The doctor does the same thing to to wanker at this point, and he's he's saying he's saying that his views extremely insular. He says it was negotiating peace, and he, he again he says uh, wanker scoffs at peace. He says, but he goes, but the point, Mister Parliamentary Private Secretary. Is that you have not destroyed them? You've just made them angry, very, very angry. And yeah, you're right. He, he, he starts. He brings sort of. He brings Wank around to the idea of peace. And he says he asks for one more chance to negotiate. And this wanker just says, "Well, he didn't get very far, get very far the first time. It's because you bombed the negotiations. You fucking walnut." Yeah, I think he was also making reference to the uh, the Solarians episode as well about. And that's because the Brigadier there. bombed the negotiations because he's a fucking yeah. walnut. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why walnuts are important. <laughs> um, eventually, the Doctor is is going to be allowed to go and talk to the Sea Devils again on behalf of the humans to to sort of initiate the discussion, I suppose. 
and they're walking across the base to get to where they need to be for this to happen. But the sea devils are there and they're stopped by a couple of sea devils with guns. And that's the cliffhanger of that episode right there, Dan. And that's when I wish that Parliamentary Private Secretary Walker died. Yes, exactly. Sorry, especially when we go into episode six, because we realise what an actual coward he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a chicken shit piece of crap, yeah. 100%. Yeah. But we do get more action doctor to start off episode six, because he has a little bit of a fisty fight with the with the sea devils, doesn't he? That was quite funny. Yeah, yeah as he uh, <laughs> uses karate to disarm and disable the sea devils, until one just grabs him from behind and cuddles him into unconsciousness. Yeah. See, a bear yeah. can be a finishing move. No, it can't. Don't go down that road. I hate the bear. <laughs> <laughs> um, we then find out that the master is, is going to keep the doctor alive because he needs help from the doctor to build the device that's going to reactivate the broken hibernation equipment that the sea devils have so you can revive all the rest of the sea devils that are apparently all over the world. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for, the, for the master's plan that yeah um but also you know it's the master and the doctor it's a very love-hate relationship master's mm. probably like yeah you get to work with my friend again um, yeah. and that's where it comes across when you get to the scene that they're in this room working on this device together it is quite nice how they're interacting and so on yeah when the when the doctor's looking at his plans and he's thinking good grief what on earth do you think you're doing yeah and he's like the master like, what good in it and he's, <laughs> and, he's, and he's like you've completely misplaced this circuit you need far more power through to your main diapode and he's like just give me a pencil for god's sake mm. <laughs> and yeah. it, but it was it was very much like they'd sort of picked up where they'd left off it felt yeah. like yeah. It everything between them it was it was nice and then all that's ruined because we're back in a, the room where wanker Hart, and joe are and the notice and sort of it looks like an entrance to an attic, but it's to go into the, the ventilation. Exactly, and Joe can fit, so says, "Oh, we'll let him go." And and Wanker's there saying, "Well, you can't let a mere child risk her life." It's like Joe's a grown woman, you're fucking up. Yeah, and, and she's <laughs> uh, Captain Hart is fully appreciative of the fact that Joe is a grown woman because he weren't shy of helping her up into that ventilation shaft, was he? <laughs> His, it was, he, he was, his mm, hands were a little bit risque. Yes. Mm, mm, mm. But Joe didn't protest, so. <laughs> well, she's got to get up into venting. She, she's, she's, got to, she's got to get the shaft somewhere. <laughs> Sorry, get in the shaft. Get in the shaft somewhere. Oh, dear <laughs> me. Uh, oh, I, I am I am mad at myself, and that that, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> this brings me to a point I really wanted to make about Joe as well. To be fair, because she escapes through the ventilation shaft, comes out on the roof of the building, um, eventually finds the doctor, talks to him through a window, and so on, which we'll come to in a moment. But I don't know what Joe's outfit is made of, but they should make more clothes out of that because she's wearing a white suit, isn't she? White jacket, white trousers, okay? Yeah, durable. And in this story, we're now in episode six. In this story, she has ran across a dirty, wet beach. She has ran across a military base. She's been mucking around in an old, dirty fort. She's been on and off a dirty boat. She's rode a motorbike. She's now crawled through a ventilation shaft. Action Joe has been all over the place here. 
right? Mm. There's not a speck on her clothing. It is still uh, pristine white. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, that, the one thing from this series that the world actually needs in real life is whatever material that stuff that yeah. outfit's made of. Yeah, it's not it a is. mark on her. No, so it's made, it's almost like magic. It is. Um, but, <laughs> Yeah, get action, Joe. You know, she's more than she's she's a really bloody good companion. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Um, the doctor, as I said, uh, discussed this with Joe. His little plan is going to create a diversion, uh, and it's up to Joe to get to Walker and Hart and any of the others and get them out whilst he causes this diversion. Um, and, and that's through the master's machine. He's he's plugged a couple of wires into the wrong place, which creates this pretty horrific noise that uh, our, our our good buddy Malcolm Clark, the musician, is responsible for again, apparently. And that messes up all the, the sea devils for a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks to be causing immense pain. Uh, Joe goes and frees heart, and we, again, prove just how much of a chicken shit wanker is because he won't even run past the sea devils. He just goes back in the room and cowers in, like, in there like a little bitch. Mm. Um, Joe, and Hart, Joe and Captain Hart uh, take a hovercraft, though. But, yeah, yeah. So this, this was awesome to see because you know we had a hovercraft in uh, Enemy of the World last series, but it was nowhere near as good as this one. Um, and Hart shooting the Sea Devils. The, the only thing is, we only see Joe and Captain Hart get into this, um, into this hovercraft, and then later on, it's full of people. I think they've gone and fetched people, though, haven't they? I've, I was thinking that, and I, just as you said, fetch people. I just tweaked. Was it the crew from the submarine? Maybe. Ah, yeah. Good shape. Good shape. This ends up with a bit of a battle, doesn't it? Now the sea devils and the soldiers piling out of the hovercraft or shooting away at each other and so on. This feels now like this is the final stand. This is the final battle that we've been building up to, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. But before this, uh, we get the doctor turning the uh, the thing off, and it's because he had the output jack in the input socket. Yeah, like making the transmitter. Yeah, there you go. Look, there you go. Foreshadowing, <laughs> foreshadowing, mother fudger. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the um, the master even covers for him. Says that oh, it's just teething issues, mm. which I thought was sort of a nice little wrinkle into it. Um, but yeah, we're basically building up to the to the battle. Um, the doctor chases the master, which is like. <laughs> We covered an episode of Baywatch for UTT recently, and that had Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan racing jet skis. Right. <laughs> this was more entertaining than that, although oh, Baywatch had the added bonus of the jet ski, Hulk Hogan coming off the jet ski and the jet ski hitting him, hitting him in the head. Oh, dear. It was fun. That's a bit, um, a bit close to the bone, isn't it, with old uh, Brutus Beefcake? Is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what mashed up the Zodiac's face, wasn't it? Well, yeah, let's not let's not talk about Ed Leslie. Um, but, yeah, the, I, like, I quite like the uh, the little boat scene, the little boat chase scene. But it was one of those convenience things again, wasn't it? Because there was two of them very close together on the beach. The master grabs one, and you're straight away thinking, Doctor's going to chase him on the other then. And they just, uh, again, though, they look like they're having the time of their lives here. Oh yeah, they're, they're having they're, they're having proper fun. Apparently, they were really, really good friends as well. Pertwee and Delgado were like the best of buds whilst filming Doctor Who. And Delgado passing away. I mean, this is uh, what did I say seventy two. I think yeah. Delgado passed away in what seventy uh, mid seventy three. I think maybe the summer of seventy three. So he's only around know. for another year. He died in a car crash. 
and it led to Pertwee. One of the reasons why Pertwee left Doctor Who was because his friend was no longer working on the show, and it's quite upsetting for him. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. You know, they have great chemistry on screen together, and you, you know, you can tell that they just really loved everything they were mm. doing. You know, right down to the you know we said about the sword fight before. It's it's just great, and it you know when you can tell that two people are having fun, what they're doing, and what they're doing is really good. Mm. It comes across just yeah. like Captain Hart getting to sit in the giant gun and blowing yeah. up the sea devils. <laughs> uh, I mean, as as all that's gone on, the, the Doctor and the Master they're they're back on the sea devil base now, aren't they? Yeah. And Walker is deciding he wants a nuclear strike now. He's escalating again. Up. He's now that now that he's safe, he's back to being a dick. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, the machine is turned on though by the uh, the sea devils, the master, and so on. The machine is turned on to raise the sea devils as one of the sea devils imprisons the doctor and the master together. Mm-hmm. And the doctor reveals there he has, and it's the famous line that is associated with Mr. Pertwee, he's reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, which, which apparently pr- is the only time he says it. I'm sure we've heard him say it more than once. He says it again in The Five Doctors. Right, okay. When he said it in The Five Doctors, it was tongue-in-cheek going along with the joke of saying, apparently he said it all the time in his run as Doctor Who, but he didn't. He would say he's reversed the polarity a lot, but the the actual whole thing, reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, was only ever said here until Pertwee was in on the joke with The Five Doctors. Oh, so it's like a Mandela effect. Yeah. So I think, oh, okay. Okay, but this is, yeah, it's, I've put it down as classic wee-woo-beep-boop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's reversed the polar polarity of the neutron flow. The master has a, an awesome oh-shit look on his face <laughs> because it's going to cause massive th- feedback throughout their entire power system and yeah. the whole place will go up in about 10 minutes. And the doctor's <laughs> master's screaming to be like, out. doctor says he's wasting his time. And even if they hears him, they couldn't do anything because he's built a self-destruct mechanism into it so it can't be turned off. Yeah, so as soon as anyone touches it, it's going to go anyway, isn't it, I guess? But th- this is a, a bit, I don't want to say genocide mm. from the Doctor, but it's it's blowing up an entire base so that a whole species will be in hibernation for longer. It feels a bit off. Yeah, it does. It does. But I suppose he's, he's tried... To do, I mean, he says himself, doesn't he? We'll, we'll, we'll get to it now, I suppose. We'll skirt through through the very because we're virtually at the end of the episode, aren't we? The um, the Doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to get him and the Master out. In yep. the meantime, the base is exploding, uh, and that uh, that that collection of sea devils. I don't know what's the plural for sea devil. What what you know, a gaggle of sea devils, a wobbling of sea devils because that's what they're meant to do when they're walking along. Okay, that that particular <laughs> wobbling of sea devils is um is, is blown up. <laughs> Um, the the hovercraft has been sent out to go and see oh, if there are sorry. the doctor and so on. Sorry, it's, one it's last nightmare. interruption. One last interruption. While all this is going on, the cut back to Hart's office and Blythe is bringing Wanker yet more food. And it's smoked salmon this time. He's eating well, to be fair. This is why he's, he's a, a f- fucking <laughs> pig. He is. He's a nasty piece of shit, isn't he? Uh, the hovercraft has been sent out though, just before the the strike that they're planning to see if the doctor is is out there. And of course, they get the doctor and the master onto the hovercraft. The 
nuclear strike doesn't happen because the base explodes by the doctor and the master's machine that the doctor basically tampered with to make into a bomb, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they get the, the hovercraft arrives back on the beach. And as this happens, the master has collapsed in the hovercraft. The, the base, as I said, explodes behind them. Um, an ambulance arrives for the master and he's getting carried out on a stretcher and they're saying it looks like he's dead. The doctor that the doctor on the hovercraft who's left on the hovercraft said that he's dead apparently. So the doctor was like, what doctor on the hovercraft pulls mm. the mask or pulls the face off the, the, the master turns out to be a mask. It's somebody else disguised as the master. He escapes in the hovercraft of a little wave. I loved everything about this. I thought that was a fantastic ending. I have one question. Okay. It's, your t- it's your turn to justify it now. Sorry. It's two part question. Right. Where the fuck did he get that mask from and why did he have it? Um, he had it about his person, how some people Where? may smuggle, well, how some people may struggle, you know, smuggle uh, drugs into the country, potentially. Up his um, ass. Potentially, yeah. You know, that's a, a face-sized mask. Yes. To fit a, a, a human male head mm-hmm. rolled up. Yep. Up. Up his backside, yeah. I, I do not claim to know the physiology of the Time Lord Anus. <laughs> That's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> it, it may be bigger on the inside. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going for. Um, <laughs> but how great was this? I do want that. <laughs> <laughs> written, in, written in really fancy writing. Yeah, I will make. I bet you it just block. I bet you just block capitals. <laughs> what image should I have on the t-shirt? <laughs> just a, a close-up of Roger Dugardo's arse or something. <laughs> um, a, a big brown star with Delgado's face in the middle. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, that basically brings us to the end of the Sea Devils, though, does it? The Master has escaped with a little wave, and I, again, I loved the ending of this because yeah. he's now he's now back out and about again. He's not in the prison no more. The Doctor has vanquished the Sea Devils, uh, but you've got the Master to worry about again in the future. Who, Dan, who, in summary, who, what did you think of this? The, the master who can quite literally pull masks out of his ass. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for all the mockery and for all my hatred of, uh, of private uh, parliamentary private secretary Walker, I very very much enjoyed this. Um, it, I really there's something very endearing about Pertwee's doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the action doctor and all of that. Did have my issues with some of the treatment of Joe, but she didn't need the doctor to be a really fun character in her own right. Mm. To, to be like we've called her Action Joe. She was all over it. She was great. You know, we, we've said in the past about certain companions of Rory and Ryan being absolute spare parts. Yes. And um, she's far from. Far from. So great show for the Doctor. Great show for the companion. I thought Captain Hart was a good side character. They, they've, they fleshed him out very quickly and was he was the sort of the whole sort of fulcrum of the show. He was there. He was involved in everything, like I said before. Um, Private Secretary Walker was a complete dick and a very memorable side character. The Sea Devils were unique enemies, which is always a good thing. So, yeah, I have to put Sea Devils... I imagine this will be very high. Mm. 
in the in our sort of end of season wrap up um, because it just went so far and above what I expected for the time. Yeah, to be quite honest, you know, we looked at Planet of the Daleks last season, which was decent. It, it, it ended up being ninth on my list, but that's because we watched some stuff last season that was just incredible. It was um, Planet of the Daleks by no means a bad episode. We watched Inferno, which which we both rated very highly in the yes, first season. That was, that was top of my list on the first season. Yeah, I think it was top three in mine. Yes. If not top two. So I'm just seeing now that Pertwee is a, an era of Doctor Who and a Doctor that we both, we can't deny, we both very much enjoy. So yeah, yeah. I, fully, I fully see this being up there. Um at the end of it, I, I can guarantee it'll be above Vampires of Bastard Venice. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not letting I, that go until we watch it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I agree with everything you said. It's going to be very, I think it's going to be very high on my list at the end of our, our end of season countdown episode. The master for me is the absolute star in this story. He is superb. Mm. Um, Action Joe and her magic suit is brilliant as well. John Pertwee is fantastic. You get a little bit of silliness with the sword fights, but even that was 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 brilliant as well. The silly stuff wasn't silly and crap. It was silly and brilliant. And I think that's the, what makes this era... Sta- the, the positivity I've got for this story, I think, comes from that. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, the sort of the silliness of the sword fight, as you called it, I think it, it falls under that category where people at the time would have looked at it and just gone, oh, this is terribly exciting. Even though it's a bit daft, even though it's a bit crap, yeah, it's still fun and it still grabs your attention. And you'd, I would have, I would have been happily watched that for another minute or two. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the difference between something that's silly bad and silly good. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, so positive no- notes from both of us. Then that's great. Uh, what are we doing next week, my friend? So next week is our first guest of the series. Uh, We've got Connor from uh, Connor Knows Soccer and Connor Knows Horror. Uh, It's coming on, and I don't actually know, uh, I'm not 100% certain which episode we're looking at, but it'll be a Christopher Eccleston episode. And Mm -hmm. I believe you told me it's the second episode of the series, which is called The End of the World. I think that's what Connor said. He has told me. I was supposed to double-check with him, but... True to form, I forgot. And I did look it up because you messaged me about it, and I'm just going back through it now. Uh, back through our messages, two ticks. Yes, so the end of the world, which is the first sort of foray with the, the doc, with Christopher Eccleston's, Eccleston's Doctor and Rose Tyler into the far future, where they're going to watch Earth be consumed by the sun. Mm. Yeah, not the newspaper, uh, the uh, the no. actual star. <laughs> not, not the not the not the not the newspaper, the star, the the, <laughs> the, 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 big, the big lamp in the sky that makes it hot. Yes, I get you. I get you. Uh, looking forward to it, mate. Looking forward to it. I like a bit of Eccleston. It's going to be good. Um, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online, bud? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. And you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory. Uh, you can find us by searching Unbooking the Territory on all your podcast platforms and on Twitter at UTT Podcast, where we discuss the first and last of professional wrestling. And sometimes just, as I mentioned earlier, we say fuck it and watch episodes of Baywatch or, or such like as... Why not? And our side project is Unbooking the Tankatory, again, on all good podcast uh, platforms. 
and we're on UTT Tank and we're covering the career of the hardest man that ever lived in WCW, Mr. David Tank Abbott. Come along, it's a good laugh. And we get to... Uh, I've actually got a newfound appreciation for WCW 2000, at least certain parts of it. And, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, brilliant stuff, mate. Brilliant stuff. Uh, you can follow pretty much everything i'm involved with via the network that carries this show and that would be at sjp world media on facebook and twitter and from there you'll get links to all the shows from the network whether that shows i am involved in looking back at wcw nitro nights the waiting room quantum leap podcast looking back at episode by episode of that great show uh plenty of wrestling stuff with chain wrestling nxt rise and fall and all that and then shows i'm not involved with like back when with tyler and danny um and, and loads of other stuff coming as well looking at modern day wrestling uh with the guys in the states at rsh benny mac also in the corner loads of great content there more shows being added all the time you need to be following at sjp world media on facebook and twitter and subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use but most importantly this show itself you can find on facebook and twitter at the doctor who pod as at the d-r-w-h-o-p-o-d at the doctor who pod dan it's been a blast mate really enjoyed it next week bit of eccleston Pleasure of all, as always. Can't wait to get our first foreign interview who this season. And I do remember a lot of this this uh, episode. And I can guarantee you'll be saying, moisturise me, moisturise me, for a little while after it. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, thank you again, Bird. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. He's just such a wanker, that bloke. <laughs>